This episode of JJ Meets World is brought to you by Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. Natalie has a proven track record to get your home sold faster and for more money. She is consistently focused on her clients' needs and wants throughout the entire process and make sure that they are well taken care of. If you're looking to buy or sell, reach out to Natalie today. On average, Natalie sells a home every 3.74 days. That's at least two a week. And last year, Natalie earned her clients on average over $4,000 above list price on their homes. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's some of the great reviews Natalie has received. I was overwhelmingly impressed with Natalie and all the Hatch team. She was very responsive and responded to all of the emails within an hour. She gave great advice and encouragement from the listing and pictures, the offer, and all the closing details. The marketing team knew exactly how to promote my property, and I was pleased by how soon and easily my property received an offer. I was actually dreading selling my condo, and Natalie did such an awesome job that I felt like I really didn't need to do anything. The thing I most appreciated was that she really listened to what I wanted to do and respected my my decisions. I would definitely recommend Natalie and all the Hatch Realty team. They made this process so wonderful. That was from Diane. So listen, if you're in the mood to buy or sell a home, give Natalie a call right now. You can reach her at 701-388-9338. Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E at HatchRealtyFM.com. Or you can go to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's Live. FargoMoorhead.com and find out some information. Huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring JJ Meets World. It's JJ Meets World. This is your host with the most, JJ. Listen, today's episode has got Christopher Zimmerman, who is the conductor for the FM Symphony Orchestra. Christopher has a very interesting story. He talks about being a dual citizen of the United Kingdom as well as uh, the United States. He talks about his time at Yale at length. And uh, what it takes to actually become a conductor and his thoughts and theories on music. Very cool stuff. Plus, I tell you about how much it sucks to be tall and why uh, I think sometimes I wish I could just be a regular old shorty like Tucker. One, two, three, four. J.J. Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always sniffing out his next adventure. Yes, he is. He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. J.J. has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called J.J. Meets went to a play this afternoon and I sat in the middle of a section, middle row, middle of the row. Nightmare scenario. Well, it is for the people around me. And the second that I started making my way towards these, there's only two seats left in this row. You were a latecomer. No, well, no, the show hadn't started yet. Okay. But I mean, I was the last person to get in the right. row. So technically right. late for the row. I didn't know row D that we were all going to arrive there 20 minutes early. But I got I got this sound which I've had many times before. Ugh. Right. I'm a tall person. You are. I paid for my seat just like how you paid for your seat. Would you do that to someone in a wheelchair? Do you I, think that their issue was you were tall? It is. So it was people from rows behind you. It is. And uh, so much to the point of where I was at, well, what movie was I seeing recently? I was at Gone with the Wind. Four hour long epic of Gone with the Wind. I sat in the seat that I purchased. And when I purchased my seats, 
five other tickets had been sold in the whole theater, and I picked specifically with no one sitting behind me. Two minutes in the movie, tap, tap, tap on my shoulder, and the guy was polite, and he goes, Sir, you're very tall. Would you please move down to these empty seats so that we can see? Well, the I had, was happy because there was an empty seat to my left and to my right, but if I move over, now all of a sudden I'm encroached on someone else. On someone else. But I moved. When I went and saw the Book of Mormon in Minneapolis, I was in the third row. I was on top of buying tickets to this thing. So excited. I brought Jill's whole family. So there's a group of nine of us. And then the whole time, oh, I can't even see. I can't even see. I can't even see. <laughs> and I know that being tall isn't a disability, but I didn't choose to be tall. Right. I chose to be a fan of of musicals there's, and theater. There's no like height limitation for what seat you're ordering at a concert. There is not. And or that's, a show or whatever you're It's saying. the luck of the draw, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's the luck of the draw. Yeah. So stop. People of the world, stop being so heightist. You is just, that it? You've added another reason why I hate going out to things and dealing with other people. Oh. I like how in this podcast world, like we get to just be in this room. Yeah. That we don't have to go and like be next to other people. If I wanted to do this pantsless, I could. You often do. Now, here's the thing. At 6'3", six, 6'4", six, when I'm wearing my shoes, I slump down in my seat to the best of my abilities. I contort my back into a position that makes me uncomfortable the entire time I am there. And so, even though I am silently doing this for the people around me, because I know it's tough to see around me, they still are giving me all of that crap. And it bothers me. Now, here's where I tie it in to our guest today. So we get to talk with conductor Christopher Zimmerman from the Fargo-Moorhead Symphony Orchestra. He comes in and spends a week here, conducts the orchestra, rehearses them, and then flies out. He's, uh, he tells some pretty amazing stories <laughs> during this, including uh, 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 some of his time in France. But I went to the symphony the night we interviewed uh, Mr. Zimmerman. Mm -hmm. And at the symphony, somebody did the same thing to me. And I picked a seat far back in the house, not the last row, but pretty far back in the house. And they did the same thing. And I got self-conscious. And so I got up and I asked the usher, is there, are there any other seats? Like, so I ended up in the balcony. Oh. And here's the thing I thought about. Wait a minute. I'm at the symphony. <laughs> you don't need to technically see this no, whole don't. thing. You don't. You can you can close your eyes Clearly. and enjoy this this movement that's taking place. Right. Also, the stage at Festival Concert Hall is enormous, and it was packed to the gills with people. But there's probably someone out there who can't fully appreciate a symphony without having direct eye contact with the flugelhorn. What are you the know? odds that I sat right in front of that one person, though? I guess you found out. <sighs> It was awful. I, it's just awful. As a five foot seven guy, I don't really have that issue. No, you don't. You don't. don't. And every time you go to visit someone's church or youth center, they're probably not asking you to change light bulbs. I'm trying to understand if I have more or less privilege than you. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, they probably never tried to charge you extra in an airline. Usually height is an advantage. It usually Especially is. Especially on an evolutionary scale. Actually, You and I pitted in battle, you would just win. For yeah. your sheer size over I don't know. Like, you think of, like, uh, who is that guy who played for the Bulls, that real short guy, and he was so fast, and he got around all the big legs. Oh. 
He was in Space Jam. I can't remember his name. They had a funny joke, too, because he's walking with the doctor while they're all getting checked out. Right. And all the other basketball <laughs> players knock their heads on the <laughs> ceiling except for him. Muggsy Bogues? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yep. Anyway. Bruce Lee was short. Wolverine was short. Yeah. And they've got this low center of gravity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it makes it also like if we're playing baseball, where exactly is your strike zone? Basically being short, I have a superpower is you what do. we're saying. You do. You know, I can condense into like overhead luggage if you need me to. And it's helpful. Mm-hmm. You probably fit in most beds, even European beds. I think so. I don't. <laughs> I do not. Uh, so... <laughs> Let's get on with the show today. We got, uh, this is a pretty interesting episode, and I think it's an episode people are going to listen to for a long time. This guy was awesome. I had so much fun talking to him and listening to him, and uh, he, he's great. And, and He's also had, British, by the way, which so is, get ready for a great accent. Which is a plus, yeah. especially in, in this land. We really love British accents I in this do. part of the world. We really, really do. It's like the most exotic thing that ever comes to our shores. Um but I also, after talking to him, I do want to go back and try out the FM Symphony again. Like, just mm-hmm. go take a listen to something. It's been years since I've gone, which is a shame. And I, I need to go back and, and try that. If this ignites your excitement about the FM Symphony, uh, think about going back and listening to our episode with Linda Boyd, who is the um, executive director of the FM Symphony. And if you like listening to someone with a European accent, go back and listen to Maz's episode or Monika's episode. So many great episodes. So, folks, get ready. Uh, you're going to want to probably get some some cool classical music ready to listen to after this episode of JJ Meets World. Uh, but Christopher Zimmerman is our guest today. Uh, thank you very much to those of you who donated on Patreon. If you haven't been there, every dollar helps. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those folks who have. Patreon.com slash JJ Meets World. Let's get this thing rolling. And a one, and a two, and a three, and a four. JJ Meets World. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Christopher Zimmerman. Thank you, JJ. Thank uh, you. I've had a chance to chat with you in my day job over at the <laughs> radio station. I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit deeper uh, as you know, an artist and a human being during our conversation. So can we, can we start with this? Where are you from? Well, <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, so I am from south of London, about 15 miles south of London. Thanks for uh, turning it into miles and not kilometers. Okay, Thanks for not using yeah, the metric right, system. Right, right. Um, <laughs> in the county of Surrey, do you know anything about England? I do. In There's fact, lots of uh, counties. Yep, yep. So I'm I'm in the London area. Very these days, it's it's still not. London is huge, but where I grew up, a small town called Kingswood. Uh, is still just out of London, but it's a huge, London's a huge place, as you know. So it's a, an immediate suburb of London. Uh, my mum came from Connecticut, was born in Connecticut. So I've always had dual citizenship. I grew up in England. I was born in, and grew up in England, but I've always had dual citizenship, which is actually, I don't know if we're going to get there in this conversation, but has proved quite handy uh, I can imagine during my so. career. Um, Better than not having it, right? Better than not having it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Well, anyway, so um, so that's where I'm from. And I went to school. I came over to this country to go to college. And where did you go to school? I went to Yale, believe it or not. And I say believe it or not because, as you probably know, um, and you read about it all the time now, getting into, well, getting into any college. I have two children. 
and they're both one is actually at college the other one is graduated uh and they did not go to particularly well-known places like Yale right and even where they went you know there's no way I would get in I mean it's so competitive getting into someone like Yale these days you I mean I don't know how anyone does it so how did I get in you ask yeah complete luck actually I would call it what's that word um when you're influenced by your family, no, uh, nepotism. Yep. I'll tell you why I say that. <laughs> because <laughs> because um, uh, my, well, okay, so because my mother came from Connecticut, I, as a family, uh, we used to come over to this country a lot in, on holiday and stuff. So I had a big connection when I was a kid with America already. And my elder brother, who's six years, I have two older brothers, but the next one up is six years older than me. And he wanted to come to school college over here and he is very bright and very academic and he got into Yale and probably deservedly so I still think even he might not get in these days because you know how competitive it is and I think because he did so well that's why I got him because I really and I'm, this isn't false modesty entirely I mean I'm not completely stupid but I'm certainly not academically that bright and in fact I'm not that bright <laughs> compared with the people you're getting now and I had an interview which probably went okay but I think it's because they thought, well, his elder brother is really pretty smart. There must be something to this. So that was amazing. Because I applied to a few other places over here because I wanted to come to the States like my older brother did. And I think Yale, uh, places which weren't as well known as Yale, and I think Yale was the only one I got into. So <laughs> definitely was a case of this. So, so what was but, the yeah. what was the college experience like at Yale? I mean, it, it really well, is it's it's a liberal one of, the, yeah, yeah. one of the greatest you know Ivy League schools it's, out there. I know, there. And, and I, you know... I'm sort of, you know, I've decided not to be embarrassed about going, you know, might as well say I went because when I, and also coming coming from England, you know, as a kid, I mean, I didn't know this place was so, you know, it's like Oxford and Cambridge, but I didn't know that. I just went because he went there, you know. Uh, what was it like? It's a liberal arts college, like I think any other liberal arts college. It's it's nice, you know, it's, I had a good time. <laughs> I uh, graduated successfully, just. Um <laughs> <laughs> in the in the allotted in amount of time, or the, no, absolutely no, in the allotted amount of time. Well, yeah. That's good. To Four know. years, must be. Um, and I studied because um, it, it was an undergraduate liberal arts degree. It was not in a particular instrument. It was a music degree, BM. But I was playing piano and violin, and I played. I took lessons. I played in the Yale Symphony Orchestra, the violin, and. Um, I kind of wanted music to be my thing, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be, and it certainly wasn't, I didn't think, anything to do with conducting, until I had this sort of thing, which was, um, I loved playing in the symphony, and but I was like, uh, uh, like most young musicians, I was into my own part, and I was a violinist, and the guy on the box, you know, the conductor, I had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, isn't that you, that's sort of Still universal days, for every it? job, yeah. right? <laughs> so everyone thinks that the person on the box right. doesn't know what they're right, doing. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I remember the time when I thought, you know, this this stuff, this orchestral music is so great. I've got to get to know about how it's put together. You know, outside my own part, it was actually playing a Mahler symphony. I remember Mahler's Second Symphony which is a huge piece. And I was right in the bowels of the orchestra. I was actually in the front of the second violins. So, you know, the 
it's not entirely true, but sort of the first violins have the melody and stuff, and the second violins and the violas. I loved have, playing second violin in high school. Innards, right? I did. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Because you have the innards of the music. You have the. You get the harmonies, and yeah. you get to add something pretty to something that's already pretty. Yeah, or you don't, or you get right. all the entrails. I like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and this piece, it just blew me away playing this piece. And so that kind of got me so curious about the whole picture of a piece of music. Um, and then at the same time, uh, because of the, you know, liberal arts college, you could take outside your major or outside courses you had to take, you could take what they call seminars. And there was one on conducting, but not on the practical aspect of conducting. Because, I mean, I didn't want to stand up on a box and look like an idiot. I was Really, I didn't, you know. It was about sort of what it's about. And I thought, okay, I'll take this. It was, it was actually taught by a visiting professor who was a conductor. And I really got fascinated by it. And then I kind of got then bit by the bug. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll try and see if I can do this. But I really, you know, at that point I was... Because I'm, I'm actually not naturally particularly, I don't think I've got better at it, but I'm not naturally a extrovert person who wants to stand up in front of people and be an idiot, you know? But I got bitten by and then I then I pursued it. And I, I you know, I took, um, you know, other than violin and piano, I took all the other things you have to do pretty seriously about this, you know, harmony, counterpoint, orchestration, all these things, um, and sort of pursued it fairly relentlessly thereafter. Yeah. So when you when you make a, a choice to switch over to conducting, did you ever feel the need to learn more in-depthly about other instruments at all? Get yeah, you know, I mean, a little bit of percussion background, a little bit of background you know, with a cello or anything like that? Um, so I, I would say it wasn't really switching over. I mean, it, well, it's true, I never, I still play the piano, but I, I didn't pursue violin, and I kind of regret it a bit, as much as I might have, or, or maintain, I should say, violin as much as I might have. Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, I, um, I would say the knowledge of that has accumulated over time, rather than, okay, now I need to have a smattering of how to play every single instrument. It wasn't like that. I haven't done that. I mean, maybe I should have. I don't know. I think what the pursuit was more in in how to how to in depth learn a score, and then thereafter, of course, the most important well, not the most important the two most important aspects I think of successfully conducting are the ability to really learn a piece of music and the ability to conduct. Duh. Now, what I mean by that is. <laughs> Um, the ability to be able to communicate with people whereby you can, as a, as a collaboration, you can get what you want. So that is not conducting technique. That's not what I mean. The conducting technique, the one, two, three, four stuff, is relatively simple, as you probably know. Obviously far more simple than learning an instrument. Uh, but that's actually not what technique is, really. Technique is the ability to get people uh, to not quite to do what you want, I mean, sort of to do what you want, but to, to enthuse them to do what you want collaboratively, I would say. Okay. And you can only do, you can't learn that, you know, in a, in a room conducting. You can only learn that through conducting. So that's where it's a little bit different from being an instrumentalist, because obviously the, the equivalent of sitting in your, uh, at the piano or violin practicing is learning a score. That's, that's the equivalent there. But, uh, 
the actual conducting itself can only be done conducting, you know. So that's why you have to get practical experience. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of leadership that goes into conducting. Have you been in, mm. were, you, were you a natural leader? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, that's a great point and, and question. No, and the answer is, and you know, I never really thought that was the case. And had I known about that like I do now, I don't think I would have kept going, actually. Because I, 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 this is not false modesty. This is the confession, and I probably shouldn't say this over the air. I don't think I'm, I, I'm a good leader at all. In most respects, I think I have the ability to enthuse with some passion musicians. I do think that. But as a general, uh, you know, if I'm I'm not a, what's it called, a type A leader type? Yeah. You yeah. Know? If I'm in other aspects of my life, I'm never the one. I don't think I am. Maybe I'm bossy. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> These days, I don't know. But I don't feel that, actually. And, and you're, But you're right. That has to be... Um, an essential part, I think. But I think I only realize that, again, once you're actually in the position to have to do that. That would be more the job of a music director. Again, not not the conducting itself, but in a position like I am here, of course, artistically speaking, you're a leader. Um, and I hope reasonably successful. I don't think it necessarily means you have to be like a leader of a military units or something i mean i'm sure right you, you know, don't need to be a, you don't need to be a dictator there's a that that difference between this is what i'm gonna tell you to do and you do it or you don't do it no, and it's then not I'll that i mean you have to symphony. obviously take things have responsibilities and take your responsibilities seriously and i suppose you have to be a leader in the sense that you do have to uh inspire people that that is true but the other do you know what i mean i i, I still think i the other um qualities of being a leader, I'd, I somehow don't think I have those. I don't know. Well, it, isn't it kind of the same for any collaborative art where you're basically taking things that can be art in their own sense, on their own terms, and putting them in a room together and then trying to make something new out of it? So a violinist could just go, you know, bus yep. kind of street corner and express themselves artistically that way. But then when they come to an orchestra, they're collaborating with all these other uh, musicians and the conductor and whoever wrote the score in a sense. And, right. and they're interpreting it into something new. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yes, and, and uh, you know, that's the Bible kind of the piece of music in front of it. I mean, obviously you, you interpret it because even though there are all details written down, it has to be brought to life. So, but I mean, I, I try to get to know the piece as well as I can and take the cues from the piece. The, the business about, I just wanted to, when you said the violinist who now becomes part of orchestra, one of the, the I think, in um, certainly difficulties, if not problems, of the whole orchestra world is that it is collaborative, but it's not in... And maybe it depends on the level of the orchestra. Um, you know, these big orchestras, uh, most of the players... Uh, are pretty frustrated with their jobs. I don't think they should, you know, I think they often, let's take a, a, a major symphony orchestra. They, I, I don't quite understand when I hear that they, they're complaining a lot about their job because they actually get paid very well for something which they purport to want to do. So that I think is a good thing and I'm not quite sure why there is so much um, complaints which you hear about. But I do understand that this is why I'm saying this, they, mm -hmm. they have to... Uh, uh, give up their musical, um, what's the word, responsibility. They have to sub, sub, 
subvert it to the conductor. Yep. Submit it. Subvert it. Well, so, no, I, I think actually under the, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I, we all, I mean, most modern day conductors like to think, and I, I do actually generally think I'm fairly collaborative, but at the end of the day, I'm the boss and I'm the one who makes the decisions, mm-hmm. usually the musical decisions. I mean, it is collaborative in the sense that I listen to what's happening and I, I haven't got everything, work, well, I actually do have everything worked out beforehand, but I'm happy to adjust it. But in, you know, when, when orchestras are playing week in, week out with a different conductor, a different person on the box telling them what to do, I do understand that artistically that must be frustrating. But that is part of what they, an orchestral musician gets into, and I think they have to make the most of it. My son is actually an orchestral musician, um, and I've talked to him about this, you know. He's a, he's a good violinist, and he's aiming for, and I think he's likely to get a position in a major symphony orchestra. He's already a sub for the Pittsburgh Orchestra, and he's only 25 years old, and he's looking for a big job. He, I think he understands this, because I think he has the personality whereby, he, maybe he will at times get frustrated over the years, but I, 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 I think he has the mindset whereby he will enjoy this that, that type of life, because he, um, he loves the music so much, and he, I don't think it grates him too much as long as the conductor is reasonably good, that someone else is kind of leading, you know. I, when, when I think of the the fact that ego is a part of art in some ways, because to me, e- ego is part of the drive, right? I want yeah, this. I you know, I want this. I love playing this instrument so much that I want yeah. this to be what I do day in and day out. Right. Um. And so. You know, having to take your cues from somebody else can be difficult, but at the same time, I also think, well, this is my chance to strive to make my individual part the best it possibly can be. I think it's very well put, and Versus, that's ideal. Right, and, um, and in almost everything, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a play, right? So mm-hmm. you might think that the person next to you is putting the breath in the wrong spot in the line, but you're responsible for getting your line in or out. Right. And just focusing there out. Well, I think I think another way to describe though too what a conductor does, which I think is the same as a director for a play or a movie, is you you sort of set the tone of the collaboration. The buck does stop with you. You know, you have to have that at some point because design by committee doesn't work. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but also though, if you are even not in that directorial position, um, you know, I acted in plays for fifteen years before I directed anything. Um, you also learn that you can collaborate and submit to a director at the same time. And that the the most fruitful collaborations, in my opinion, have always been when discovery was sort of prized over decision. So you can make decisions all day long, you know, like a plan that goes into it. But in when you're in the moment, if suddenly something, su- suddenly something surprises you and you discover it and you go, that's, that's beautiful, we should do it like that. Then you go with that. You you find what seems to work instead. And the director and the conductor set the tone for all of that. I, I think the analogy between conductor and director is a good one up to a point. My wife's actually a director. Okay. So, um, but I think there are two differences. One is uh, that, of course, the director is not there on the night. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true. The, uh, the, they could all go along with <laughs> he or point. she and then they can do what they want. That's a good and point. I, but, I mean, obviously the basic... Um, analogy is a good one but the other thing is that I think it depends on the instrument so you know if you're one of 
14 first violinists, it's not the same as being a character in a play. Sure. Really. Well, it's the same as maybe being part an of extra, the, yeah, an probably, extra or a yeah. part of a chorus or something in a play. But I, 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 that's kind of what I meant. I think, you know, the principal oboist has a different relationship musically than with the, the contrabassoonist. No, no, than the, the, the fourth stand second violin. Oh, okay. Because there's one first oboe and they're 35 violins or, you know, 15 second violins. And the whole point that, you know, of uh, uh, the best orchestras in the world, one of the things which makes them so good is their unanimity, precisely not their individuality in the violin section. I mean, you watch a great orchestra like the, well, the Berlin Philharmonic actually is a little bit different. They actually do somehow have some individuality, but, you know, uh, a really great orchestra when you watch the whole string section, I mean, they're you know, let's take the bowing. I mean, they bow, you know, they bow in exactly the same part of the bow and everything is supposed to be completely unanimous. And that's where the individuality actually gets suppressed, I think. Mm-hmm. At least technically speaking, perhaps mentally not. I, I'm not really sure. But so I think there's a bit of a difference between the... I, I, I agree mm-hmm. with the concept business. I mean, the, the job of the director versus the job of the, of the conductor, indeed, there are many similarities. You're right. actually right. Setting the tone, obviously having the the vision of how you think the whole thing should be put together. This is entirely the same. Dealing with people over a long period of time, although with plays, of course, it's over a much longer period of time. I mean, I only have, I'm lucky here. I have four and a half rehearsals, but in Fairfax, my other orchestra, I have three rehearsals. The whole thing's over with in three days. Whereas with the play, right, it goes on for weeks. So I always tell my wife, you know, you're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) With all this time to prepare. (laughs) Yeah. But of course, you know, that's only, that's a full orchestra put together at the same time. You're obviously working weeks, 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 months in advance. I am preparing my, my music, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so really, if you if you walk in with a half-baked idea of what you're going to do... Not a good idea. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, so here's a question I've always, I've always been curious yeah. of. So for someone like yourself, who music is your career, uh, obviously you enjoy it, what aspects <laughs> or pieces of music are you just tired of where someone suggests why don't we do this and you think nope I, there's no life left in this for me um another good question and i i don't let me think i mean some you know there are very few pieces that i've done which well there are very few i'm there's some pieces there are very few pieces i've done which i just don't like there's one or two but then i'm not tired of them because i don't go back to them so you're talking about pieces which which are probably great pieces which you know after a while jesus christ do it i die yeah. again <laughs> they they you know then i'm struggling to think of one because uh sort of as i was saying by definition they're great pieces of music for, i mean for, there is there you know there is i mean i love this piece the new world symphony by divorce I, I have conducted a lot so if i'm asked tomorrow to well the good thing about that is i know it really well i don't have to spend <laughs> just jump right time. into it yeah exactly and because it's a great piece of music and I, I i i love it but i have that is a piece which you know i could go without doing it for a bit sure um there are pieces uh, occasionally that i just don't don't speak to me and they're pieces they're often pieces which i mean they're composers i love this is actually in a way part of, it's both frustrating and interesting i take sibelius sibelius the finnish composer is one of my favorite composers i mean i'm eternally fascinated by this guy part of that fascination is that sometimes it infuriates me 
it there are parts of his music which I just don't understand why he does a certain thing. And I'm always trying to figure it out and I never quite know, you know. At the same time, it's a really it's not actually a hate relationship, it's a love, tiny bit frustration relationship, you know. And I sometimes think that part of my love for it is that I do get frustrated. I'm eternally I'm uh, I'm always trying to figure out why it, damn it why does he do that there you know why doesn't this do that does that make any sense yeah absolutely whereas other composers you know are more perfect but somehow I don't necessarily have a love affair with them quite as much I don't have a love affair with Beethoven on the whole or Mozart it's great music uh, Beethoven has grown on me over the years, but it's never been a, he's never been a composer who is completely in my bloodstream. I mean, there's some from day one are and, and remain there, and some actually who kind of are and have gone out a bit and maybe come back. It's kind of interesting to me, at least. Well, you know, like I'm a theater fanatic, but I just I find Shakespeare to be one of the most uh, overrated uh, pieces that that I find out there. And which is oftentimes met with some people going like, well, you're just not cultured enough then. I'd be like, yeah, no, it's just no, my I, personal preference. I completely understand that. I mean, the, uh, to me, the problem with Beethoven, uh, Shakespeare, is it's just very hard language to me. I mean, I find the same with um, Bach in a way. I actually love Bach. I actually like, love Shakespeare too. But there's it, some of it is impenetrable for me. Um, but my my reverence and love for it isn't fake. I genuinely do believe and think that it is the most incredible stuff, including Shakespeare, I have to say. I I don't really agree with you. I would not say I don't like Shakespeare. I mean, if it's done, I've seen productions where I think it's just unbelievable. I, I get it, why it's put See, up there. I, and I think that's my problem, is that I have seen more bad Shakespeare right. in my entire life. That, you know, imagine going and listening to you only get to hear middle school no, renditions no, of Beethoven's Fifth. You yeah. know, like eventually you're going to be like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, I don't blame you. And one of the problems is long. I mean, Beethoven, I, mean, I keep saying Beethoven, sorry, Shakespeare <laughs> is uh, so long. I mean, yeah. That's another thing. If you don't like something, then having to hear three and a half hours of it is, yeah. you know. I mean, don't you think, though, at time? I think, you know, I say this sometimes when I'm trying to, if, if someone comes to me, which they do occasionally, and say, you know, I just, I don't understand this music. I don't, what is it that you like about it? Or, you know, they're sort of interested that I like it so much and they don't. Um, I sometimes say, because this has happened to me, um, if, if there's a piece which you just don't get, but suddenly if there's one bit of it that you get, if you can latch onto one part, which you think is beautiful, once that happens, then the rest of it can start to get into your bloodstream. And I think that was Shakespeare. So I'm sure you agree, JJ. There are parts where you hear the language, you think, my God, that it has really been put beautifully. I mean, there must be parts. Oh, and I if, saw if Twelfth that, Night in Chicago, and it was happens. one of the best plays I've ever seen in my entire life. Right, so and that have, was the yeah. moment where I was like, okay, maybe I don't and, dislike Shakespeare. I like don't like bad Shakespeare. Right, right. Unfortunately, you see way more bad Shakespeare yeah. than that. But I had that same moment with with a symphony orchestra when I listened huh. to the Chicago uh, symphony orchestra, it was the moment I went there on a date and it was one of those things where it was like, yeah. okay, yeah, sure. Let's go on this date. And maybe we can make out afterwards. Right. <laughs> Get through uh, this music. Right. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> but I was, I was so 
moved by it. You could, you know, I felt passion and I felt humor and all of these things that I had never felt before. And it was only because I was comparing it to my time in high school band and having (sighs) to listen to that and that being just such a horrible, horrible, like, three weeks of my life that I gave away. That's really too bad, isn't it? It really (laughs) is. It really is. And I had this preconceived notion that completely changed after that. And then I think I've been lucky to be in Fargo because the Fargo Symphony is doing such interesting things. I'm glad you said that. I mean, we're not the Chicago Symphony, but I'm glad you at least... Yeah, well, I love going out to Bluestem for Symphony Rocks. Uh, The the things that you guys have done in in the First Presbyterian Church is... Those are moving, like, moments. Um, And then you've got a show tonight that I've got tickets for to come see. I think you'll like it. I'm very excited about (laughs) it. So so let so let's dive back a little bit into into you. So you you become a conductor. How does that how does that career work? Well, I mean, so everyone is different, obviously. Um, so what did I do? I'll tell you. I'll go back a little bit if that's of interest. So I uh, so I was at Yale. We talked about this, and I took this Clark class not really knowing if I was and I got bitten by the bug basically so then I was fairly determined to try and get some skills under my belt <coughs> excuse me uh, to apply to what this is so I um, I went to a summer course in uh, a place called Fontainebleau in France it's just south of Paris this was this is a long time ago guys I'm very old in <laughs> 1978 I think 1979 1978 um this is a school uh, for, you know, an intense sort of training for musicians and also architects, actually. It's, uh, it has two different disciplines in the same, under the same roof. It's kind of interesting. Um, and the teacher there, you, you probably haven't heard of her, but she's actually, well, maybe you have. Uh, she ext- was an extremely famous woman called Nadia Boulanger, uh, this French woman who is the most famous musical uh, pedagogue ever, actually. She knew Stravinsky, believe it or not. She taught, I'm not making this up, at some level, Copeland, Aaron Copeland. And you're thinking, how old is this woman? Very old. (laughs) So she was 95 when I went to Fontainebleau in 1978. Um, And she was the head of this school, but she had other teachers who we took classes from. We took classes in Harmony and counterpoint and all these disciplines you had to do and they were fairly fearsome the French system They don't suffer fools lightly, you know Um, and we would take um, If we were lucky one or two Private lessons with Mademoiselle Boulanger herself now. She's 95, right? And she lives in this I'm not making The uh, Fondeblay is a huge castle a bit like a mini Versailles. This place is huge beautiful French intimidating piece of uh, architecture and uh, the classes and her apartment were all on one wing, you know. And I had two lessons with her. Um, and the first one, so you arrive at the appointed time for your, I think it was like a 20-minute, half-hour lesson. And the lesson was going to be playing exercises on the piano for her, harmony exercises, so that she could see you're doing the right thing. And you and I waited outside the door of her apartment. I'm not making this up. There is a picture on the wall, a painting of cattle going to the slaughter. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is <laughs> let's get that for the studio. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good idea. So anyway, I'm ushered in, and Mademoiselle Boulanger is not there. 
So I'm thinking, and then I hear this little voice, Monsieur, sit down at the piano. And she's in the other room. She's bedridden. Oh. She's 95, right? And so she says, play. Because she knew I, I had my, so I play my exercise. And she's, I mean, she's quite far away, you know. And suddenly I hear, no, 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 he's wrong, he's wrong, you know. She's correcting this stuff and she's hearing these inner voices that I'm playing in the the harmonies. You've taken harmony, right? I don't know if you guys have, but you there are rules to yep. how the voices work. Right? You can't have parallel fifths and the voice leading has to be correct and blah, blah, blah. She's hearing all this, you know. So I play, anyway, I sort of get through it. I survive. And then I had one more lesson with her uh, a few weeks later. Um... And this time I go up to the downstairs door, right? And the window opens up. I mean, it's like being in a, I don't know, an 18th century merchant ivory film or something. So <laughs> the, the window opens up and this basket comes down that lowers the basket. And in the basket is this big key because I'm supposed to let myself in. <laughs> <laughs> it's this big bloody thing. So I go, you know, <laughs> in I go, you know, cattle at the slaughter, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And I go in, and this time, she's there. And she's a tiny woman. I mean, seriously, she's about four foot eight. She's bent over, and she's not big anyway, but she's old. So she was about barely five foot. And she says, Ah, oh, monsieur, come sit at the piano. And uh, and she's and this time, I, she wants me to play something for her. And I prepared a little Brahms piece, I think. So I, And I'm really prepared, right? Because I'm like... <laughs> And so she's sitting right there. Play. So I play this piece, and it goes really well. I'm thinking, this is, I'm not screwing up too much. And I'm done, you know. And I look over, and she's fast asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you play Brahms. <laughs> right. That's the last time I saw her. And actually, she, I think I was the last straw. She died that summer, I think, just after. <laughs> so I just thought I'd tell you those stories. So that... that um, um, was the start of my kind of learning about this stuff. And then after that, I, uh, what happened? I graduated from Yale, as, as I told you, mm -hmm. on time. You certainly um, like mentioning that, so keep, keep doing, <laughs> yeah. keep doing. Well, you said you did <laughs> yep. it on time. So, People uh, usually just say that they went to a school, but that he's like, graduate. I graduated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, place. there you go. Sometimes all you need to do is just clarify that moment yep. because they're, you know, for example, Lori Laughlin's daughters will You're say right. that they went to Yale, yep. but they're certainly not uh, graduating yep. from there. <laughs> I went to Yale, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I went and visited, yes. Uh, so... Um, Again, this was, this was kind of strange. So I then, um, I was taking some lessons from a musician who lived in New York. And um, again, it was kind of piano-y stuff. And I say stuff, it was score study. And, you know, I was just trying to get this stuff under my belt a bit. And, but time was running out, as was money. And um, he recommended that, uh, he thought I had some talent, so he recommended a graduate school with a, a well-known teacher who I'd never heard of or knew, which was, and he happens to be a very well-known, I was lucky, a very well-known conductive teacher called Gustav Meyer. You might have heard of him. Um, and so I contacted Meyer, and uh, he knew this guy recommended me, so I just met him for a bite to eat somewhere, I remember. And he gave me a couple of tests. This was really informal, you know. Uh, just to see one of you. And then he said, okay, you can come and study with me. This was at, And so he was at the University of Michigan, so I went there. Um, 
And I graduated <laughs> <laughs> two years later. Well, I graduated from Fargo North High School in 2003. Well, good. <laughs> good for you, buddy. <laughs> You're a youngster. Yeah. I graduated. <laughs> Uh, and then again, what was I going to do? So um, I think this is uncommon compared with most young conductors today. But um, I had no job, right? And I'd graduated. Um, someone recommended to me that one way of trying to sort of get a foot in the door is if you can somehow latch on. And I say this in a, not in a seedy way, but kind mm -hmm. of. Well, actually, there's a phrase for it in our world, coattailing. If you can find someone who you really respect and can sort of go to their rehearsals and maybe get lessons or something like that, then that's a, a good way to get started. In fact, Andrew Davis, who's an English conductor, uh, was the music director of the Toronto Symphony, which is relatively near, relatively near Ann Arbor, right? Michigan, where I was. And I went up there and I just sort of introduced myself. I think the English, he's English, so the English connection probably helped. And he was very generous, actually, with his time. And I sat in on all rehearsals, studied all the scores. I actually even conducted the orchestra once, which was nice of him. <laughs> um, and then during that time, you know, it's a major orchestra. They had a lot of guest conductors, as these big orchestras do. And one of them was this, the conductor of the Czech Philharmonic, a man called Václav Neumann, uh, who, when he, he came for a week, and I just thought he was unbelievable. And I don't think I'd have the balls to do this now, you know. But I did then. So after his con, I went backstage. I strode backstage and knocked on his door and, and said, Maestro, I just, is there any way I can, you know, I'm a conductor. I said, actually, I'm the assistant conductor of the Toronto Symphony, which wasn't entirely true. <laughs> I was kind of apprentice to Andrew Davis. But I said, is there any way I could work with you? And blah, blah, blah. And, um... He said, oh, well, if you're the assistant of the Toronto Symphony, you must have something going for you. Uh, he just said, like, maybe to get rid of me. I don't, he said, you know, uh, if, you can get, you can, if you can get yourself to Prague um, and like coattail again, mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll help you out. I had no money now at all. So I applied to, I thought, how am I going to do this? So I applied to both the American, I don't remember what it was called now, some some foundation whereby if you persuade them that, you know, you going to Prague is going to be for the great benefit of the entire country's cultural health, <laughs> they'll give you money, right? I'll graduate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I did the same for the British equivalent. This is where I was saying the dual, earlier, the, the dual, dual citizenship, citizenship came in handy. Uh, the English equivalent, which is actually called the British Council. The Americans wisely, probably, didn't even respond bit rude <laughs> the english did i convinced them that maybe uh they, they it was good for you know uh the motherland as a whole if i go to prague for a year uh and they invited me for an interview so i went and my parents lived back in england so i went home quote unquote um and i went for this interview which i thought went disastrously uh but they didn't and they gave me this scholarship to go to Prague for a year. Now, this is a long time ago. This is before the Iron Curtain, right? You were, you know, you guys weren't around. But we've read books. Like, we've we read what books. Happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was in, well, this was really in the, uh, this was in actually 1985. So, so I'd been over. I was the, born that year. This, you were born that year. So <laughs> I this, read that book that year. <laughs> <laughs> this was, um, so you can imagine I'd been over in, in this country or Canada, but basically over here for how many years now? Seven, maybe six or seven. And immediately now going to the behind the Iron Curtain. And it was January when I went there. So it was like, 
I felt again like in one of those, not Merchant Ivory this time, in a sort of Stalin film. Um, it was an amazing year, actually. So I lived in Prague and I worked with Neumann. Um, again, a bit like Davis, but even more intensely sort of going to all rehearsals. And, and I studied a lot of Czech music with him, which was kind of valuable, I think. Uh, and then, of course, that ended. And what was I going to do? So I went back to England and I started eking a living, conducting, teaching a little bit. But I just wasn't getting enough work to really sustain... I mean, so it was the beginning of my career stumbling around a bit. So I then thought, okay, I'll apply to all sorts of things. I applied to some jobs over here as well. Dual citizenship helped. Although, you, yeah, I, I think, no, actually, even if I was just English, maybe the jobs I got, I could have got, but it probably helped having dual. And I sort of got two jobs at the same time over here. Uh, one was a uh, director of orchestras at CCM, that's Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati, and shortly thereafter, an orchestra about the size of this orchestra, the Bangor Symphony Orchestra, music director. So I just got married, so we moved from London to this country. This was in 1993. Been here ever since. This is many years. Uh, and so I've just been basically working here. I guest conduct uh, in other places from time to time, but my work and life is basically here. Wow. That's how it is. Is it, Do you find it... Do you find it difficult to have these little guest stints where you've got to pick up very and, good and go? Uh, so, okay. Uh, so m m the, the slant of my career has changed a little bit over the last 10 years. So, so I was at CCM with Bangor, and then both of those kind of switched. I went to the Hart School of Music as director of orchestras, and I had another smaller orchestra in Texas. I did those two things. Then I, was, I applied for the Fairfax Symphony, which is where I am now, which is a slightly bigger organization. Um, and, I decide, and I was offered that. So then I kind of jumped ship from the academic world to just go into the professional world. A little bit to the chagrin of my wife because of, well, one reason is because of benefits. You know, <laughs> you know the, the universities. So, you know, it was a, a financial, I took a bit of a financial hit. Um, and then when I did that, it was not a, it's not a full-time job like this one. Uh, I then applied to the, for, for your, for the Fargo Moorhead. And then when I got that, so now I have the two orchestras, no academic, um, position. Um, but because it's still not an academic, academic position, despite having two jobs there, it's not day in, day out. So guest conducting, if I can get it, is easier to do. If you're a, if you're on a faculty, um, <laughs> you know, they always say, I, it was very frustrating to me. They always say, you know, for professional development, so-called, uh, your bosses on, in, in an academic situation always say, oh, we want you to do all this outside stuff. But when push comes to shove, if you then start getting that, they kind of get, well, we need you here, you know. I was always sort of, I always felt it, was, to be honest, was somewhat hypocritical. Um, so without the academic side of things, I can at least... You know, I'm, I'm free to do that if I can fit it in and if I get it. So, and as a matter of fact, it's more recently that I've got a little bit more guest engagements than I used to have. It, it's very, it, it's very, um, not only sporadic, but it's, I, I can't plan it. I mean, they either invite you or they don't. And some, sometimes years go by without much. And then suddenly two or three things come up in a row. And of course, often they get, I get invited for things at exactly the same time, which is really annoying. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't rain, it pours. But uh, yeah, recently I've had quite a few, and they, and it's always back. To, <coughs> excuse me. It's always back to back. Well, so is Fargo and, and Fairface, by the way, because the seasons are exactly the same time. They're always from September through May. So what happens normally, almost every concert this year has been literally either I'm here and two days later I start again in, in Fairfax or, for instance, last Saturday I had a concert in Fairfax and my first rehearsal here was on Sunday. So I just fly in. The, it's back to back. Racking up some miles. Actually, yeah, indeed. Actually, the last concert here was when you had the minus a million. Yep. Yep. And I couldn't fly out for three days because the airport was closed. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yep. So cold. So eventually I had to drive to Minneapolis on day three and I missed my first rehearsal back in Fairfax, which was a little bit nerve wracking. So their back to back has its disadvantages. Especially um, considering that the season involves the heart of our worst weather. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? And I, I know. Um, so yeah, so I, basically my, my life is these two jobs plus some guest engagements when, when they happen. Uh, have you ever brought your family to Fargo? Have uh, they ever journeyed out here with you at all? Yes, they, uh, not my children cause they're, it's, well, uh, but my wife has been, and she's going to come again next season. She's been twice. Um, and she's had a good time and she's made friends with, uh, some of the orchestra, even though she hasn't been here very much because everyone's so friendly. I have to say that is true. It's really great. I really like this place. Um, also, um, the principal flute player, Deb Harris, has visited us because she and her husband, Gabe, went to the women's, uh, when our lovely president got elected, the women's, yep, the, uh, the, what's it called? The, the, yeah, the um, DC. The march. The march, That's, the first thank one. You. Yep, the women's yeah. march. Yep. Uh, they actually went to DC, okay. good for them, you know? Yeah. And they stay with us. So, And my wife got to know Deb quite well, and they became friends, even though it was a quick... Uh, visits so that was nice uh what's it like so we've talked about dual citizenship a couple times here uh were, was there ever any pressure for you to declare one over the other um no i i hope this is legal <laughs> i don't know how far <laughs> out this is being broadcast when it is but um uh, the americans are a pay uh, make a fuss about this um i think you're not supposed to have American citizenship and another, that you're supposed to renounce the other one. I really? Think. I, it I, used to be so, that way. Yeah, so huh. uh, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a friend who was born on a U.S. Air Force base in Germany. So she had right. dual citizenship in Germany and the United States. And when she turned 18, there was a phenomenal amount of pressure by the U.S. government for her to declare one or the other. And so she eventually got a, a lawyer and they said, no, you can have yeah. dual citizenship. It, it, You're good to go. Yeah, I think it is legal, but they pretend they try to give you hell. I wonder why, though. Like, what is the cost you, for that? Because the Americans are arrogant. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, I mean, but actually, in my, in my case, uh, I always had the American because my mother's American. Mm -hmm. So, but I was born in England. So I think it wasn't acquiring, I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but I, I never had a problem. But I think, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why I said I'd, no, no, this isn't right. What happened? Something. I can't remember now. I just remember at some point, even though I had both, maybe when I came to college here, there was some murmurings that it was not really supposed to be that way, but nothing 
and it's and and I think it's gone in and out a bit. I think now it's fine. Or you know, every yeah. time there's a new administration, they it, it might just you. mean like you can't run for president or something. Oh, maybe, dear. maybe. <laughs> oh shucks, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if it's that because we still have. You're probably right. Actually, um, you have to have that. I forget, you know, where how it is formalized but that you have to be born as a naturalized citizen of the u.s i think that's actually true i wouldn't be surprised if dual citizenship wouldn't be considered the same thing and of course well i wasn't born here so this poor country will never have me as president Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to make do you'll have to make do um i'm really curious about your uh listening habits your music consumption habits how i know you've got a very busy schedule but and you're drowning in music so you are listening to it when you're working but right right but what how how much music do you listen to what kind of music do you listen to and what are you listening to yeah. now so, so sometimes i do feel drowning a bit because it's a kind of a good verb because uh it just, the, the for instance these past two con- the concert tonight we have six seven pieces we're doing they're short, but there's seven of them. And the concert happened to be the concert last weekend were five pieces. Again, kind of short. So it's like 12 or 13 pieces sort of jumbling around at the same time in my head. Uh, so sometimes I do feel a bit, bit of the drowning thing because, you know, some people are really good. at They just inhale music, but I have to really sit down and learn this stuff, you know. Um, so in a way, I don't, when I'm not, doing that I don't listen to other stuff as a kind of relief um, the music I'm a bit of a nerd uh, I'm classical music is my favorite music other than early rock music which I grew up with which I really like okay uh, and you're gonna laugh because you're gonna think I'm an old hippie uh, so I, I of course I like the Beatles. well I shouldn't say of course I do like the Beatles <laughs> I mean they're a phenomenon um, you know I like things like uh, Led Zeppelin and I like the cream are incredible and I like Genesis and and this this stuff which people sometimes mock these days but I still actually like that I don't know how much I listen to who's I mocking listen to cream who's mocking Genesis uh, well do you know what's the name for that music which pe- some people think is overly complicated like the yes you know um just trying to think of what Genesis, term you mean. there is a term for this stuff um no mocking's too strong a word but I do actually like that stuff yeah and um I don't listen to it very much. I actually like, this is really for, sent- I do think it's very good, but it's kind of sentimental because when I was at college, did I tell you I graduated from Yale? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I listened to Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young. Mm-hmm. I like that stuff. I do occasionally listen to that. It really brings back memories, you know. It's really powerful, actually, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but then basically, I, um, you know, when I when I kind of got into classical music more and more, you know, the music from the, 80s, 90, 80s onwards, not happening for me, really. And I've never really gone into jazz. It just hasn't been my thing. So, oh, really? You're kidding. I feel bad to say that on air. No, 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 no. I just feel like I can't. It just isn't my thing. I, I've, I've listened to a lot of jazz, and I've listened yeah. to nothing that I've liked. It's funny, isn't it? I just It doesn't speak to me for some reason. Yeah, and I have to remind myself that that's what... What's happening is it's not speaking to me. I'm not hearing something that's bad necessarily. Oh, yeah, no, I don't. Because I know so many people whose opinions I really trust. Yeah. But I have yet to find, like Shakespeare for JJ, I have yet to find (laughs) jazz that's truly accessible to me. Like, it's not in my blood at all. But it's weird, isn't it? At the same time, though, I understand that, you know, jazz and the blues are sort of at the core of all American music. Right. After the 20th, at the, the dawn of the 20th century. Right. I think that's probably true. I mean, I do like. 
sometimes I like blues if it's because it's so salt. You know, when they're hard, is it out there? You know, it's so soulful. But jazz on the yeah, for some reason it's funny that. But so so I um, so what do I I what do I listen to? I don't know. I mean, I like opera actually. Well, certain opera. Um, I I like my favorite period of music. It uh, is probably the twentieth century. A period of sort of classical music, if that makes sense. I do kind of like listening to stuff which is new classical music, you know, stuff which has been written orchestral music. But I don't spend a huge amount of time outside what I'm actually working on, kind of listening. I've always you know. wondered how much, you know, uh, your someone's childhood really locks in music tastes or even an ear for something. So I think it does. So actually. JJ and I, you know, 84, 85 babies. So we grew up with Nintendos and digital sounds <laughs> and computers. And so when I'm most of the listening that I do is not what I would call intentional listening where I'm sitting down and really paying attention to the music. It's usually something that's playing while I'm doing something else. And for that, I, I specifically prefer uh, electronic music with no words that's playing on an internet stream that wow. I've never heard before so that it's it's always there and I like having that be in the room with me but I'm not sitting in intentionally listening to it but I also think that I have an ear for it because the era I was born in the era I grew up in you right, know the right. sounds that I was used to as a kid the music of Super Mario when you're five years old, you just think of it as <laughs> music. You don't really that. think it's, of it as, the, you know, as a, as video game music. Um, that, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'd never thought of that. You know, yeah, I'm sort of the opposite in the sense that I don't ever. I'm not. I'm not poo-pooing this. Please don't get me. Don't get me wrong here. But I don't put music on as background music. I either have it there or I don't. So, yeah, my wife actually does what you. She always has music in the background. And I just don't do that. Um. So you're right. What what you grew up with actually is a hugely important thing. So I, <clears throat> I um, my parents are not musicians, but they were avid classical music lovers. That's why classical music for me has never been particularly hard to like. And why part of my job obviously is to not proselytize, but you know, as the face of the orchestra, musically speaking, you know, I'm trying to get people excited <laughs> about this stuff. And it's kind of I've never had to go through you know, what so many people have to go through, understandably, this is complicated stuff, and I get it why people don't necessarily take to it. There's an intimidation factor, unfortunately, sometimes. So I can't relate to that myself, but I'm aware that that's what happens. And that's why I said to you, JJ, you know, if you hear something unfamiliar and, and it just isn't quite working, but suddenly you suddenly hear part of it, which is beautiful, and that can sort of bring you into a piece. I often mention that to people. You know, there's a piece we're playing tonight um, which is like that, and obviously like that, which is uh, John Carigliano's violin concerto, the red violin, the Chacon. This is the first, that's actually the red violin music from okay. the film. Yep. And in fact, this one movement is the first movement of what was eventually his violin concerto. But anyway, it has lots of weird harmonies and special effects, which could be alienating to some people, but the tune is so beguiling that he just kind of sucks you in. And I think that can apply to people. Hmm. You know, I try to get people to latch onto something. So I grew, so my parents, my dad in particular, used to have these most amazing speakers, by the way. Fantas I don't know what they were now, but <laughs> fantastic old speakers, which were such a great quality. He used to blast this stuff out. And to begin with, I used to hate it. When I was a little kid, it just, you know, shrieking opera. I was thinking of these women shrieking at the top of their, 
what is this? Ah, you know. But actually, it got into my bloodstream because although opera took me a while to get to like, I love it now. It was it took it was percolating away, you know, just as you say, yep. from just having it as part of your background when you're a little kid right i guess i guess it could, it could have the opposite effect too like if you grew up just it hearing could. nothing but share and you're like i hate share yeah you because have a violent reaction that, it, it was it was i was surrounded by it constantly um the when other, my parents no. would fight my mom would listen to john denver so i can't listen to john denver <laughs> without feeling like "Ooh, are mom and dad on the rocks right now <laughs> right oh right right i have similar so, feelings about the movie enemy of the state with will smith and gene hackman oh really so do yeah. you think though that uh, I think uh, uh, the opposite reaction is indeed often, but maybe eventually you come around to it again. So I have, my son is a musician. My daughter is completely allergic to classical music, or so she claims. Right? <laughs> so I'm thinking that maybe later on, you know, she, because it has to be in her blood somewhere, right? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The other question I wanted to ask you is, uh, are there elements of your life that inform your art that are not musical? So when I think of J.J., JJ, although he does a lot of different things, I would say he's primarily a comedian. And a comedian's art is being informed every day by, you know, what they read in the news that day and the people they talk to and the books they're reading and the music they're listening to and the movies they saw and all these other things that sort of inform their their art and how they approach it. Would you say there's anything that's a great that's question. non-musical um, that informs your art? So uh, this is a hard one. I would say... <clears throat> um, Maybe life in general, uh, sort of ex life's experience and kind of growing up. Or, JJ, or you gonna drink this coffee? No, it's all you, buddy. <laughs> trying to get, I think going through life informs the communication with players, right? The more you do, and not necessarily the better you get, but you get a little wiser. So why am I going up at the end of sentences? It's a Fargo thing, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. it really is. Everything's like a question. I hate that. We're not <laughs> I don't know. I hate, I'm not why am I going <laughs> with an up inflection? I know. <laughs> so I, I I think maybe just getting older and more experienced and possibly wiser informs that part of uh, my work, but not. But the music side, uh, I would say probably uh, theater. Okay, and because because my wife is a theatre, we go to the theatre all the time, and I like theatre much more than music. I have to say, uh, as a consumer, I, as, as I, I, in I prefer to go to it. Yeah, okay, I do. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a bit uncomfortable. It sits a bit uncomfortably that when I'm sort of asking people to come to my concerts, and I'm thinking I wouldn't go to my concerts. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in plays where I thought, right. yeah, <laughs> don't feel don't feel like you got to come to this one, right? Um, so I I think because of you know, sort of trying to plumb the depths of theatre a bit must inform music, no? I think so. Um, I don't know about other aspects of life directly informs or affects the process of learning a piece of music. It probably affects my taste. Mm. I think there is something in there because um, I read once the, the late writer Christopher Hitchens yeah. had talked about that since he, he was only a nonfiction writer, he never wrote fiction, never read fiction. Have you read his books? I have. I read a yeah. few of them. And um, when asked about w why he thought he thought that there might be a correlation between the fact that he also had no ear for music. 
that hmm. that the great fiction writers he knew personally were also either great musicians or really loved music would would spend time listening to it and would, he didn't and he didn't he didn't really have an ear for it he, he hmm. could appreciate a good song from time to time but, it wasn't but he thing, had yeah. no musical ability himself no rhythm no sense of pitch hmm. and didn't really dive into it and he felt that there might be some sort of you know subcutaneous connection between the two and i've always wanted to ask someone who wow. has yeah. the music in their blood so to speak if you think there would be anything yeah. to that maybe your connection with music and live theater which is fiction uh, yeah. usually you know sometimes based off reality but that there might be a connection yeah. there too i don't really know i mean that's and i think of myself as a fairly unimaginative person compared with many artists uh which you know so i don't know if there's a correlation you know what i'm saying yeah. I, i'm not that much out of the box I don't think. Maybe some people disagree. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's a interesting question. Sorry, I don't have no, that's, an answer that's to fine. it. That's yeah. fine. Uh, comment yeah. on our Facebook if you think you have the answer <laughs> yeah. to that question. Right. Uh, it, it, we're we're getting down to the end of this episode, but I've got three things I'd like to bring up that I've been thinking about this whole time. Number one, have you ever conducted a piece while the composer is present? Oh yes, lots. What's that experience like? So it's been it's been usually good. So, uh, twice, once horrible, once in between. So usually good because, well, uh, why? Okay, so I'm pretty. I like doing that. I think it's really important. I'm going up the end of sentences again. Jesus! <laughs> um, I graduated from Yale. <laughs> uh, uh, without trying to sound pompous. Going down at the end of the uh, you know, it's really important to do music by living composers because that's how this all came about, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't have your Beethoven, Brahms, Tchaikovsky without this. So, I think it's an important thing to do, and I love the fact. I think it's exciting to bring a new piece to life. I love the fact that the composer's there, so you can call the guy up rather than Beethoven. You know, <laughs> what can you do? Uh, uh, um, and even and, then, he wouldn't be able to hear you. <laughs> very good, very good, very good. Um, and I like the, I sort of like that living process, that, that the, the way that works, that putting something together. A bit like a play, right? Putting right, a play on. So, right. um, and I take pride, actually, I must say, in studying the music hard when it's brand new. You've got nothing to rely on, no recordings or anything. And I, when I study, what I do is I really study it, and I, if I find what I think are mistakes or inconsistencies, I call out the composer. <laughs> or I email it and say, and I usually have a list of it, because everyone, there's something, you know. And what is interesting, that most of the, I'm thinking they will either be impressed or, um, or taken aback or something but what normally happens is because you just you know they're all different uh a lot of them when they're tiny details which are different they say no i meant that that's exactly right thank you for what they're very polite thank you for pointing out i meant that uh, often they say oh that is a mistake blah blah but it's so i get into that whole thing with the composer before they come if they and then if they come to the performances which i hope they do sometimes they're invited and we try to make something of it they are almost without exception almost um very I mean, I'm a bit scared when they're there, obviously, but they usually want the conductor to take control, even though they usually have a very strong idea of how they want it to go, of course. They uh, they do actually want someone at the helm. They themselves don't really want to be at the helm. They want 
you to, to deal with it. So it's usually a good... There have been two exceptions. One was horrible. I'm not going to mention the guy's name. It would be silly. Uh, famous American composer, a, a composer who suddenly, uh, when I was rehearsing and I stopped to say something to the orchestra, just said, you know, I wouldn't spend time doing that. You know, why don't you at least start taking the tempi that I bothered to write down? I mean, he really gave me shit in front of the orchestra. Not nice, you know. No, not not a nice thing to That's do. That's not a professional way to not handle it. No, situation. and it was humiliating, and that wasn't good. Another time, and that person, I so that was that. Another time with another well-known American composer, I will not mention, but we're friends because I've done much of his work and I like him. Uh, this was also not nice because he's also a com conductor as well as composer, and he's got a fiery. Uh, Taipei personality, right? He was respectful, but he said, you know, Chris, I think this bit's not going... Let me show you how to do it. And he jumped up. Oh, <laughs> yeah, bad, bad. <sighs> Only times. Otherwise, um, good. And good. I've done... I have to say, I'm proud of this. I've done almost 40 premieres in my life. 40... Of, really? Not different composers, but probably 10, 12... 15 different composers, wow. pieces of many composers. I've done many of their pieces, including, you know, premieres, world premieres and American premieres and a lot of state premieres and stuff like that. Uh, we did one just the other, well, it was a co-premiere, which means that we were part of a consortium of different orchestras doing okay. the same piece. Yep. We did one in the last concert, actually, Jennifer mm -hmm. Higdon, Harp Concerto. Yep, I was going to say, the, right. the, 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 the harpist... Uh, th that that was part of that piece, wasn't it? Or am she, I thinking she, too yeah, she, before? She, um, the, it was in November, that yes, concert. Yep. She, um, it was commissioned for, for Yolanda Condonassis was the harpist. It was commissioned, she commissioned this piece from Jennifer Higdon for her. Uh, so it was written for her. It's and we beautiful, were one of, beautiful. Good, I'm glad you liked it, that's great. Yeah, um... And, you know, some pieces I really take to more than others. Uh, there's a composer I adore, and every piece I've done by her, Czech composer, who's a friend of mine. I haven't done her music. Actually, that's not true. We have done one piece of hers. My, actually, my audition concert, we did a small piece of hers. But she's written some large-scale symphonic pieces, which I absolutely love. And, you know, I, there's a spectrum. I love some. Some I don't quite, don't quite speak. But, you know, professionally, you obviously prepare everything. And, and sure. the process, even if I don't like the piece... Particularly, I do enjoy the process of doing it. I would like to say, I just like to call out some harpists, though, who are on YouTube because they try to play their harp like it's an electric guitar and it looks silly. <laughs> don't do that. You're don't a harp. Do that. Right. Don't, don't, don't try to meedle on a harp. That's play beautiful weird. music on a harp. Uh, anytime I see someone, there's, there's a, uh, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of harp music really? like two weeks ago <laughs> because I happened well. upon a cover of a Ween song, Bananas and Blow, that uh, a woman who I think was going to university for, for harp, she had done a cover of it. So her and a second harp did it. Mm. And it was gorgeous. It blew me away far better than the actual Ween song, Bananas and Blow, right? Which is not considered a beautiful song. It's considered right. a silly song. And you play it on harp with this arrangement and it, it transforms really? the piece right. completely. And they weren't doing like the electric guitar stuff. They were just doing what I would assume is sort of classical. You well, know, have you, have you, form. she's for Yolanda's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Now, this woman is, she, you know, would, she's got hands like 
she she just spit you out for breakfast. Oh, I'm you know, sure. Because really, you think a harp is like some sort of girly instrument? No, Forget no, it. no, not at all. I mean, I that mean, is she, a difficult and she's piece. Got, she's got the most amazing. I mean, big, long fingers and and serious hands with. And she shows. You know, she's got these calluses because you have to have calluses have to build up just to play this thing. And but she plays the harp like a, you know. There's incredible rhythmic precision and big sound and, you know. But like when Jethro yeah. Tull brought a flute on stage, yeah. it's like, no, no, oh, no, 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 don't, loved, don't do by that. The way. Really? Thick as a brick and okay. aquilum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I forgot yeah. that. That's great music. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, okay, question number two. Has anyone had a chance to ride your coattails? Have you returned uh, that favor? Unfortunately, I'm not fav- famous enough. I think if I were a famous conductor with a you know major orchestra, maybe they would. People have. Um, I certainly let people come to my rehearsals when they want, and uh, people. I've had you, because of my position really on university faculty, as I was saying, CCM mm-hmm. and then the Hart School. Uh, I've had many students, many many students, and some of them keep in touch, and I get calls a lot of asking for advice and all that. But not coattailing because I'm not at the head of a you know a major major orchestra. So. Sure, but but you're doing but you're doing you're offering that advice. And oh that, yeah, well and as I'm you sure know, that Jay, maybe you don't people, know this. Oh, what? Uh, I was going to say we we have a workshop here. Did you know we we run a so with Linda, you know my counterpart, executive director of the orchestra, previous JJ Meets World guest Linda Boyd. Linda, yeah, who I love by the way. For the record, I'm happy to say on this, she's fantastic. <laughs> she's the best executive director I've ever worked with. And that is another topic and probably a little boring and certainly you don't have time now, but not we're that very, boring. We're very because, lucky to have her. No, because well, the, it, the, the relationship between music director and executive director is kind of a strange one. It, it, there has to be tension involved there because they hold the purse strings, right? And you're trying to program stuff. <laughs> and she manages, I think, and I hope she would return the compliment to a certain extent, she manages to... Put it this way, when we talk about programming, it's a pleasure rather than just a frustration, which it often can be with executive directors. Because they say, Chris, you can't do that. We'd have the money for it. Which is true often, but she makes it seem that, you know. And is that money specifically, we don't have the ability to hire these types of music, this amount of musicians? Uh, or It is could it... be translates into many things. Often that, yeah. Okay. If you, I mean, yeah, if you, Chris, if you insist on doing a Mahler symphony, then this next program has to be small Mozart stuff Got because it. we yeah uh, sorry I was gonna I've, I've lost my train of thought what was the co- oh uh, co-tailing so yep. no the, the workshop so um, uh, you know I said that I'd left academia I jumped ship uh, because uh, it was frustrating in many ways but one way wasn't frustrating was I've always liked having conducting students because I you know I like doing that and um, so I kind of kept that going by having this workshop. What this means is that young conductors come for three days and, and they conduct the orchestra and they prepare pieces. And we have also, um, you know, what we call seminars on the side, you know, dealing with all the aspects of conducting. They come for just three intense days on the back of one of our concerts here called a conducting workshop. So uh, and then. So I've kind of kept that going. It's not coattailing, of course, but that's me being a teacher to these people. And then I, over the years, people call me from the past. I just got a call actually yesterday <clears throat> from a student, who, someone who was my student 15 years ago, asking for advice on stuff. And I'm, I'm happy to do that. I like doing that. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. You know, it's 
teaching it can be part of somebody's blood just like music can, right? And so if yeah. you've got that gift, it's great that you're continuing to share that with other people. Yeah, I and, like doing that. I'm, and knowing I'm happy that, to take the time. You yeah. know, after you graduate from Yale, you know, that, <laughs> that, that relationship continues years on. One of my best friends is my high school drama teacher, and I go to her for advice all the time. You know, you have a, like a mentor. friendship, yeah. That's Greg Carlson and I, for sure. Well, without a doubt, for previous, sure. Well, my mentors guest. died, unfortunately. That's just not quite true. <laughs> There's one guy, actually. Way who, to one-up us. My mentor's <laughs> dead. Uh, There's a guy who was not, uh, who I like to call him my mentor because he's, I always go to him for advice. But he wasn't when I was a kid. He was when I was actually at, you know, when I was in one of my jobs at CCM, the first job over here. Uh, David Hoos is his name. He's a conductor who was on the faculty. He's retired now from this job, not retired from conducting. Uh, he was kind of my equivalent at CCM at Boston University School of Music. And this guy just, I mean, to me, he's, I always go to him and he always has answers for me, you know. But he's not much, I mean, he's a bit older than me, but not much. So he's a kind of a contemporary mentor. So let me round out this entire thing. I've mentioned this quote before, and I think maybe the first time I met you, I, I told you this quote, but I'm curious to know what your, your thoughts are on it. Uh, it's a story from another podcast, Stephen Tobolowski's The Tobolowski Files. He tells a wonderful small story about a conductor conducting a piece of music for an orchestra, and they've done this piece many times before. It's a staple of their orchestra, and he just doesn't feel any passion when he's conducting it. And he stops and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I know that you've done this many times before. I know that you know this music inside and out, and it's it's showing right now that there's some fatigue with this piece. But I want you to think of two people who are going to be in the audience for this show. I want you to think, to think of the person who's hearing this for the very first time. And so true that you've heard this piece hundreds of times, but somebody tonight will hear this for the first time. And on the exact right. same scale, somebody will be hearing this for the last time in their life tonight. Wow, I'd never thought of that last bit. It it to me that that just speaks God. volumes. Yeah. Uh, that's about a, actually, what it I, is. Thank you for telling me that. I like that. I will remember this when I, I don't think I'm fatigued yet. But this is actually very helpful. Is it, it it's just an interesting the first, thing to the think about. The first time right? in life I've thought of. I never thought of the last yeah. Right, and I think everyone thinks of that first yeah. time, but they don't think of the individual who, yeah. you know, uh, the the next day shuffles off the mortal coil, and yeah. this was the last time that they heard it, or the last time they're able to make it out to a concert. Yeah, um, that's a good one. You know, it's it's a very. I think that quote is so powerful, and especially when it comes mm. to music and when it comes to this was live worth coming to. This. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> you got something out of it. Yeah. Uh, it only took us a hundred episodes to get a guest to say <laughs> right. that. I'm really happy I came. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christopher Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking time today. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ty. You, you've thanks. got a, a website, right, where people I can do. come and seek out uh, some Lots information. Lots of pictures of me. Oh, good. <laughs> and it says things like graduated from Yale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put a face to the voice. Right. It's a, is it ChristopherZimmerman.net? Is it that is Chris, ChristopherZimmerman.net. Yeah, Christopher Zimmerman. Right. How did you know that? But I did some you light saw, googling uh, uh, a couple uh, weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, and of course, uh, people can see you conduct live with the Fargo Moorhead Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, tonight and tomorrow. I hope people will come. That's great. And yeah. then and you, shows is, the shows go throughout the year, and you're here for every one, right? I am. Funnily enough, I'm not here for the next one. Oh, really? Um, <clears throat> we have a guest for the next one, who is um, 
you probably know him. He's very, very well known in this area. Rene Clausen. Oh, he's oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, yep. and he's written his own piece. We've kind of commissioned him. Really? So he's written a piece uh, for the orchestra, and he's going to conduct it. Oh, that's oh, really the whole program. So that that should be good. So go to that. Yeah. So it, so the next one, if you see the the the, the folk, uh, the the man on the box will be, not be will not Christopher be me. Zimmerman. It will not be me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Thanks, today. guys. I enjoyed it very much. Cheers. A huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring this podcast. Folks, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, contact Natalie Deutsch today because Natalie Deutsch is not only a previous podcast guest, she's somebody who's going to care enough to sell your property for top dollar. She's also going to find you the best price possible if you're purchasing a new home. Last year on average, Natalie earned her clients $4,000 over list price on their homes and sold them faster than the market average. On average, Natalie's selling a home every 3.74 days. That's two homes a week. Those numbers don't lie. Find out why Natalie is one of the top agents in this entire market. Get a hold of her today, Natalie at HatchRealtyFM.com. You can also call 701-388-9338 or go on to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's LiveFargoMoorhead.com. Read all of her amazing reviews and then listen to her episode of JJ Meets World. Thanks again to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com, and you can find direct contact info for JJ. Do not... Ask me to get a soup can down for you if you invite me to your house. I am your guest. I am not going to get down a soup can or that roll of paper towel that rolled to the back of the pantry. If I am a guest in your house, you can ask me one thing that involves height, and that's to give you a piggyback ride. <laughs> <laughs>